0: Well done to uh, I think Luke and Alex made that one. So well done. Is that right? Yeah. Well done, mainly Luke. All right, big round of applause for Luke. Mainly Luke, and a little bit of Alex, I suppose. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church in 2024. It's great to see you all. Um, last year, I really enjoyed our study through the book of Luke. I really enjoyed spending so much time on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, because as I look around this small little community or large community, however you want to define it, whatever. I think there's, for 2023, for a lot of people, there was a lot of change. I think for some people, there was a lot of anxiousness and hurt and confusion. And for other people, it was a great year. And um, other people were sort of participating in this worldwide trend of deconstruction. And so for all that sort of stuff, there's no better place than to fixate your eyes on the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, the story of Jesus, because that is the, the, the cornerstone of our faith. But as we enter 2024, the question always arises for What's next? What's next? And at the end of the story of Jesus, after the days of the resurrection, there's this breathtaking scene, this, uh, this really emotionally charged scene where the disciples, there's 11 of them remaining, just imagine how complicated and how many different positions emotionally these men were in. So one of their friends has gone and betrayed Jesus and has then taken his own life after because of the guilt and the shame of it. Imagine that, imagine your saviour, this person that you're following, has been unexpectedly, despite the prophecies, has been arrested and beaten and crucified. And then somehow, three days later, he's arisen from the dead and he's appeared before you. He's appeared before you and he said, I am alive, I'm still here and, and now my kingdom is going to flourish in a different sort of way. So in this moment, regardless of if you're coming into 2024 with fresh dreams, fresh visions, or whether you're coming in it from a sense of, oh, I'm just relieved 2023 is over, I think in amongst this small group of disciples in this little time period after the resurrection is a really interesting moment to start our year in. I think it's really, really interesting for us. And so this year what we're going to do is we're actually going to be following on from the story of the same story from the moment after the resurrection through to where we are today. It's called the Book of Acts. And it's one of the most exhilarating stories that you'll ever read, whether it's fiction or non-fiction. It's one of the most uh, exciting adventure stories. It's a true page turner. And I'm excited because this story, it wrestles with the tension between mission and everything else that's going on in our lives, whether it be ethics or theology or suffering or whatever it might look like. There's this beautiful quote by N.T. Wright, which I'd like to share with you, which just sort of sums up the book of Acts and which sums up the, uh, what we're going to be investing our energy into this year. And so I just thought I'd read this. The book of Acts, which I quoted a moment ago, is full of the energy and excitement of the early Christians as they found God doing new things all over the place and learn to take the good news of Jesus around the world. It's also full of the puzzles and problems that the churches faced then and face today. Crisis over leadership, money, ethnic divisions, theology and ethics, not to mention serious clashes with political and religious authorities. It's comforting then to know that normal church life even in the time of the first apostles, was neither trouble-free nor plain sailing, just as it's encouraging to know that even in the midst of all their difficulties, the early church was able to take the gospel forward in such dynamic ways. I'm excited because when I uh, read that and when I read the book of Acts, I think that's set, um, for us perfectly. That in the midst of everything, no matter where we are, post-whatever, post-2023, Something happened which spawned a movement for which we're still gathering here today and I think that that's an exciting place to spend our energy this year. So before we start this morning, obviously we're going to start with Acts chapter 1, I just thought we might just quickly bow our heads and pray if that's okay. So Lord as we enter 24, we just want to submit ourselves yet again to your way, to your will, um, to your authority. Uh, Jesus would you just continue to lead us as you have fit, as you see fit rather. We lay down our own dreams and ambitions our own fears and rejections, our own baggage and hurts, and just um, lay it all at your feet. This year, may it just be defined as us growing ever more in love with you and ever more obedient to your ways. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So this scene really starts with Jesus and he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to these apostles. And he's proving to them that he is in fact alive. And not just that he is alive, but in... The event of the cross something ridiculous has happened something special has happened in that event that he's actually conquered dark forces of death and decay and evil and as a result the creative impulses of God of the Holy Spirit can now be unleashed upon humanity for the first time Jesus is describing his kingdom and he's describing about how it's entering into a new dominion or a new age or a new era after the resurrection how something new is going to be birthed and launched out upon the world and the disciples are naturally confused. That It's like as if they walk around in a blanket of fog. And to a degree, I really empathise with them. Because it would have been so confusing. Because they've been culturally and also intentionally trained to believe that Israel would be the nation that, through which God would restore humanity, through which he would save all the world. And so then to have Jesus die and then come back and not really seem to be too interested in a political movement for the nation of Israel, it must have been very, very confusing. But Jesus was, of course, doing something new. He was doing something fresh and that is the story of the book of Acts. What the Holy Spirit was wanting to birth through this creative impulse was something totally unseen and something completely transformative. So that's why the disciples asked this question here. They said, they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You can see the question in their mind. You can see it on their hearts. You can see their confusion amongst it all. Like, God, how on earth are you going to reconcile all of humanity towards your great purposes? How on earth are you going to do it? And the answer lies a little bit earlier in this scene where Jesus has given a promise. So if we could just flick to that slide now, thank you. Just prior, Jesus said this to him. He said, he gave them this command, "'Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised.'" Which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is here and he's talking about don't leave Jerusalem, but go to your prayer closet because I'm going to birth something new, something which you cannot understand. And this new thing is this Holy Spirit, which is going to be the very energy of heaven, which is going to be the transformative thing that changes this world. Jesus goes on to explain a little bit more about this and he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. So Jesus is already sort of introducing the disciples to the idea that the Holy Spirit is going to come, the energy of heaven's going to come, this creative force of heaven's going to come and it's going to settle upon humanity and it is through this means, through this vehicle through which God's mission is going to be accomplished not through a political state or through anything else. And it's through this prayer meeting in Jerusalem, which of course we come to know is the upper room of Pentecost, that it's going to take place. But what I love about this is that word power. The original word for it is dynamis, which is the word from which we get dynamite. So it's this explosive idea, this explosive power that's going to be birthed upon the local church because in this prayer meeting, There's going to be a power that's going to come and bestow upon the people. And it's going to be so explosive that that room can't contain it. It's going to be so explosive that that meeting is going to spill out into the streets of Jerusalem. And of course, that's going to be the forming of the first church. And that is going to be so explosive, this movement, that it's going to spill out of Jerusalem into all of Judea. And it's going to be so explosive, it's going to go outside of Judea to Samaria, to the people that are half buds that you don't even like. And it's going to be so explosive that it's going to go to the very ends of the earth. It's going to be so explosive that it's going to go to everyone, everywhere, all of the time. It's going to be so explosive that anyone, anywhere can participate in it. And this is good news. It's very, very good news for us all. Anyone, anywhere. It's an exciting thing. It's hard to fully grasp just the true power of what Jesus is talking about in this part. But in light of history, of course, we know that as a result of this movement, which was spawned out of this promise, it brought the most powerful empire in all of human history to its knees. It's impacted our culture and our values and our ideas today. In fact, it's the very movement with which we're gathering here on a Sunday in January in 2024. It's incredible. Incredible. But there's another part in that verse there, which is perhaps the part that we struggle a little bit more with. Can we just pull it back up again, if that's okay, Luke? But you'll receive my power. I think we're all okay with the idea of God's power coming and resting on our lives and moving through us, everyone, everywhere, anytime, anywhere. But you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. I think that's the, that's the part of this promise which perhaps trips us up and perhaps makes us a little bit more uncomfortable. That would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and to the very ends of the earth. See, the idea that's buried in this word of witnesses is... Uh, well, in, in Colossians 2.10, Paul actually talks about how with Jesus, He's the King, and there's a King of a new kingdom, and how before this King, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so, what would happen is, is that when the, in the old days, when a new King was set on, upon the throne of a kingdom, heralds would be sent out to every corner of the, the kingdom, and they would proclaim. They'd go out and they'd say, "Hey, Caleb, guess what? There's a new King in town. You can relax. You can be rest assured that stability is coming to your region. And it is good news for you." Oh. You know what, Uh, Juddy, Jacko, I can't even see Juddy, I just saw Jacko, but it's close enough. (laughs) You know what, good news, mate. I know that you're far away from the the seat of the the throne room, but good news, there's a new king in town. You don't have to be fearful of a a period of chaos or or, or being unstable. You can be rest assured, it's going to be good news. So this is what would happen. So these heralds would go out into all the kingdom and just declare, you know what, there is good news because the king, there is a king on the throne. And so the idea that is given to us is is that would we be heralds, that would be witnesses of the fact that there is a a king and a kingdom, that this king is Jesus and the kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. Would we be sent out into all the world, to the ends of the earth, and say, hey, you know what? Good news, there is a king and his name is Jesus. And there's a new kingdom in, in, in power and this is the kingdom of heaven. That's the idea that's buried within this verse. But the reason why we've got difficulty with this, I think at least some of us do, is that when we pull that and when we bring that into our real life, not only is it uncomfortable, but for some of us we believe that it's unethical. I think there's a lot of us that believe that it's unethical for us to declare that there is a king and his name is Jesus and there's a kingdom and it's the kingdom of heaven. It's uncomfortable and some of us sometimes we believe it's unethical. And so I just thought we'd spend a little bit of time this morning just uh, pulling this one apart, having a little bit of fun with it. And so what I've done is I've created a little game called TripAdvisor everyone know TripAdvisor? So I thought we could write a little review, I thought we could compare the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world and in so doing we can at least see what sort of, uh, if we even want to be part of this review system, if we even want to be a herald for this kingdom or if we think, you know what, I feel so uncomfortable, I don't actually even like that country, I certainly don't want to give it a five-star review to my friends. So I thought we could play this little game called TripAdvisor, are we cool with that? So obviously, because I'm biased and you know which way I'm going to lean, so we're going to start with the the weaker case first. (laughs) So we're going to start with the kingdom of the world. So welcome to TripAdvisor. Let's do a review, okay? So this first slide, thank you, Luke. This first slide is a home page, and this is of a private equity firm in, in California, okay? And the reason why I picked on this one, I'm not here to say anything about a conspiracy, nothing at all like that, but these guys are powerful, they're influential, but more to the point, they've got this very well articulated vision for how they see the world okay so this is our first part that we're seeing as we step into the real world into the world of of man this is the first part that i want to talk about so this company is one of the most influential companies in all the world they invest billions and billions and billions of dollars each and every single year to create the world that they see fit to, to be able to create the vision that they want to see They are the most popular in the Silicon Valley. So everyone from Facebook to Google to Airbnb to Uber, they all admire this private equity firm. This is the bee's knees type thing. And here on their homepage, they've got what they've called the Techno-Optimist Manifesto. And it's basically this big, long manifesto or vision script for what they want to see in the world. So on this next slide, I've just taken a, a quote from it. I thought I'd read it to you. Because again, we're, we're trying to understand the world, right? And so here we've got a, a well-articulated vision for this world. So I thought we might start with it. It's basically the mission statement, the vision statement. Technology is the glory of human ambition and achievement the spearhead of progress and the realisation of our potential. For hundreds of years we properly glorified this, until recently. I'm here to bring the good news. We can advance to a far superior way of living and of being. We have the tools, the systems, the ideas, we have the will. It's time once again to raise the technology flag, it is time to be techno-optimists. Techno-optimists believe that society is like sharks, they grow or they die. And then they go on and they talk about the main mission of their vision for the world is abundance. The main mission is material and freedom abundance. That the means of doing that is intellectualism. So therefore, if you're smart, you're gonna be part of the new elite. They talk about how there's three types of leverage in the world, how there's force, there's money, and how there's uh, love. And they talk about how love can never be the primary motivation because it is corrupted and how it is not scalable. So therefore, money is now going to be the primary motivation for all that you see in the world. I dare you to go home and say to your spouse, you know what? In this household, love is no longer going to be the primary motivation. <laughs> but money will be. So this is the first stop on our sort of review of the world, of the kingdom of man. And then the next stop that I'd like to take us to is this one here. Can we go to the next slide, please? So this is a Global Approval Index. And so it's a little bit too small for you guys to see, but apart from the top three nations on the slide there that you can see. So uh, then everything after that, or top four, everything after the top four is basically showing that the, the political party in charge of that country have got a less than fifty percent approval rating. So let's have a look. Australia, Italy, Ireland, Spain, US, Belgium, Poland, Sweden, Canada, UK, France, Norway, Netherlands, Germany, Austria, South Korea, Japan, Czech Republic. So the reason I'm pointing this out is because it doesn't matter if you belong to the left, it doesn't blo- matter if you belong to the right, it doesn't matter if you're woke, it doesn't matter if you're anti-woke, people don't think that the leadership's any good. People don't think that the leadership's any good. Here locally in Australia, next slide please Luke, we've got this, oh sorry, next one, sorry I've got them in wrong order. Yeah, that one. Here in Australia we've got this thing called the Australian Leadership Index which measures how Australians feel about leadership. And recently in December they published this report where they surveyed all of Australia and they said, you know what, we want to find out who we think the best decision makers in our communities are. Do we think that it's the private sector or retail or government or charities or churches or supermarkets or big pharma? Who do we think the best decision makers are? Who do you guys think the best decision makers are? Let's just ponder that question. So the results of this are fascinating. So right at the bottom of the heap is obviously government. (laughs) And then... This might come as a huge shock, and this might hurt some feelings in the room. Be careful for this one. Right at the bottom of the heap is also the private sector. Oh, gosh. The private sector don't have a good reputation for decision-making. Next up, we've got NGOs and service workers and charities and religious institutions, and then at the top of the heap, guess who's at the top of the heap for the best decision-makers in the world? In Australia, rather. I'm going to just name two of them, two of the top three. Top one is emergency services, so like your your fire department and and paramedics, and they're always the heroes in Australian society. But the second one I find hilarious. The second best decision makers in the Australian community are the postman. (laughs) It's the postman. It's because they always deliver, I believe, maybe that's why. Now, do we really believe that the results of this survey are true? Mm, Probably not. It's probably reflective of something else, isn't it? Probably reflective of something else that we aren't satisfied with this current status quo and with the current leadership paradigm that's presented in this world. You know, social commentators talk about how there's this thing at the moment called the politics of protest, where we're so dissatisfied with the leadership of the institutions around us that we're not happy if it's left or right, woke or anti-woke, private sector, public sector, doesn't matter. We're only happy with the post move, <laughs> right? So that's the state of this current humanity. Can we go to that? The last one. So we've got. We've gone to two sites so far on our tour of the Kingdom of Man. This is the third one. Yes, we can. Barack Obama. This is less about Barack Obama, okay? It's more about the idea, that slogan. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. In many ways, he captured a sentiment that, um, that uh, articulated what the West was feeling, what the West desired for, over the last 15, 20 years. And it's this idea that we are so much in control that our society is on this continual plane of upward and to the right, that we can solve anything and we can just go into this... this gradual slide towards utopia. But then, of course, has that happened over the last 15 years? Well, I know that we live in a a time where anxiety is the highest it's ever been. We've got an epidemic of loneliness. Inflation has gone through the roof and people can't access the housing market. We thought that we could uh, see the end of, of warfare through the United Nations. We thought that we could see the end of costly war because we could just hit a button and a drone would come and do it. But then Ukraine breaks out and 150,000 soldiers are dead. we're back to trench warfare like World War II. And so a lot of people are, are left looking around at this broken promise of oh yes we can slide off into oblivion of this utopia and a lot of people, at least in my generation, are left angry and frustrated because it feels like we've been ripped off because these are broken promises, in fact we haven't been able to control any of those things. We've got an environmental crisis which hasn't been solved. How come I'm playing so much in interest? How come anxiety is so high? Social commentators, Mark Sayers is a pastor in Melbourne, and he's defined, and other commentators have said the same thing, that the last 15 years will come to be known as the age of anxiety. And he believes that we're at the end of that age of anxiety and we're stepping into a new age, and he's called this next age the age of anger. Because he thinks replacing this feeling of anxiety and anxiousness about the way our community is going, the way our society is going, is a frustration that the promises have been broken. Now, I'm not saying all this this morning is a fear-monger, I mean, in fact, incredibly optimistic. (laughs) I'm not saying it's uh, someone that's into conspiracies or anything at all like that, we're just sort of trying to put the pieces together on on the dominion of man or the kingdom of man. And now, of course, I want to juxtapose with the kingdom of heaven, with the king of kings. You know, we started off by talking about how this private equity firm said that money is corrupted and it can't be scaled. You know, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, right? God so loved the world that He came, that He sent His one and only Son. You know, John one, the thought that God would become flesh and come and inhabit your neighborhoods, that you would know the very person of God. Is this not a commodity of love? It's at scale and it's at force. In Luke, we hear about the mission of Jesus, the mission of God, and it's good news to all. It's good news to the poor and the destitute, the brokenhearted. It's good news to the the captive and the oppressed, how there's liberation and freedom to come. It's good news to the blind and to the sick. It's good news to all. The kingdom of heaven is about second chances and restoration for when we are broken, when we stuff up. It's not about cancel culture. The kingdom of heaven is about mercy mercy. And grace and forgiveness in an age where there is none. The kingdom of heaven is about a great truth instead of this meta truth or this postmodern truth. The kingdom of heaven is about a king who is. Think of the person of Jesus. We've got a, a literal person that we can fixate our eyes on, who to find the the, uh, the trait of humility, who is strong and compassionate, who is merciful and friendly, who is humorous. You know, when I look at this king and when I look at this kingdom of heaven, I see the greatest mission that there could possibly be. And when I compare the two kingdoms, right, when I compare the kingdom of man with the kingdom of heaven, the question changes for me. When I compare those kingdoms, the question changes because I look at it and it's just so good and it's just so beautiful that I just so much want it to be true because the, the reality of it is the greatest reality that I've ever heard of. This, this Jesus idea, this Jesus person, this Jesus kingdom. It's the greatest idea I've ever heard of. So the question changes from, oh, I wonder if it's true, to, oh my gosh, can it please be true? Can it please be true? Can that, can that kingdom that Jesus talks about? Can that kingdom that Jesus described? Can that kingdom that is embodied by the person of Jesus, God Himself, become flesh, in, come and walk in my neighborhood? Can that kingdom just please be true? I've never heard of something more grand or something more beautiful, something more powerful in all my existence. I don't know of anything greater than this. Can it just please be true? It's not can it be true, but can it please be true? I just want it to be true. You know, uh, recently at um, youth group, there's this young girl there, let's just call her Stacy for the sake of this story. Stacy had something in her bag and it was stolen by her friend and her friend then hightailed it out of there and caught the closest bus. And so Stacy went looking for her and she was distraught and so a couple of us went and chased after her to find out what was going on. And Stacy was distraught because her friend, Stacey's from the wrong side of the tracks, okay? And her friend is from, even more so from the wrong side of the tracks. And this thing that Stacy had lost actually belonged to her friend and so Stacy was beside herself with anxiety at how her friend would respond when she found out that it had been lost. Because you see, this friend is not, gracious it's not forgiving the relationships that these girls know is not filled with light and love and laughter it's an exchange it's a commodity it's a power dynamic it's vindictive and it's vengeful and so as we chased after this girl I just I couldn't help but say to her I just said to her Stacy look I know that life's really hard and the way that you know your friend lives is really hard but you know that I believe in something different and I believe in a different way of living. Can I just pray for you? Can we just pray for you just that God, Holy Spirit, would somehow do something in this other girl's heart just so that she responds with just niceness to you? <laughs> like, can we just pray that maybe you might receive grace and forgiveness instead of just being vengeful and you getting the absolute you-know-what beat out of you? Can we just do that? Because. Is that okay? And you know what? In that moment when the Holy Spirit was upon me in power and upon our team in power and when we we listened to what the Holy Spirit was doing in the world around us for this young girl, Stacey, it wasn't unethical for me to talk about this new kingdom. You know, I could say to Stacey, hey Stacey, I'm from TripAdvisor. I've done a review of the kingdom of man, of what your friend lives in, and the kingdom of heaven, which is this guy called Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, Stacey, you'd much rather visit this kingdom over here. You would so much rather, you would be so much better off. Can we just pray for you? You know, friends, this idea that we are witnesses to all the world and the Holy Spirit will come upon us in power us to enable us to go and do that it is not unethical for you to be able to share about this new king in this kingdom. It is not unethical for you to everywhere you go to say, you know what, there is a different king, there is a different way of living. Can I introduce you to this thing called Grace. Can I model to you what it is to forgive somebody? Can I introduce you to this thing called generosity? Can I show you how our relationship can be defined by love and not by money? It's not unethical, my friends. Not unethical at all. And so this story where the disciples are currently finding themselves in, is such a beautiful one for us today. Such a beautiful one for us today because Actually, let me go back a step. Let me just put a full stop on this last point. I mentioned a moment ago how I'm not a cynic, how the state of the world is not something to fear or be anxious about. You know, I'm not a (laughs) techno-optimist, as A16 would sort of describe it. I'm a kingdom optimist. You know? And I truly believe that the good news is good news, and the good news is good news to everyone everywhere. And I truly believe that the best days are ahead, and as people can encounter the kingdom that good things happen and I know that it seems like as if the church is smaller than ever and uh, in the West and uh, less powerful than ever, but the the story of human history is that it 's in societies like that that a move of God does happen. The story of history is, is that as societies move more from becoming a post Christian state, where either they've exited the church or their parents have exited the church to A pre-Christian state where there's nobody who knows anything about this guy called Jesus, which is what we're seeing in these younger generations. There's just less barriers for people to say, you know what, I'm sick and tired of this (laughs) TripAdvisor kingdom of man way and I want to find something different. Sorry, I just wanted to say, don't be fearful. (laughs) There's a reason for great optimism. But coming back, disciples, sorry. So the story sort of finishes off with this. Can we have that last scripture please? After this, so this is the ascension of Jesus. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They are looking intently up to the sky as he was going, by Jesus, type thing. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside the men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been, with you, has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So there's this question that the, the angels basically here are asking, is why do you stand here looking into the sky? Why do you stand looking at the clouds? Why do you stand here looking? It's, I don't know how you hear that. I don't hear that with a motivation of judgment and shame. I don't think those are motivations of the kingdom of heaven. Hence, our ethic or our motivation to share about the good news of this kingdom is not one from oh, a compulsion or a guilt or a shame thing, but rather, a, oh, can it please just be true, right? We talked about that just before. I don't hear it that way. I hear it like it's in this amusement chuckle, uh, come on, let's go type thing. Uh, this week with Camilla, one of her favorite, uh, one of the most hilarious phrases that she often says, Kate and I were talking about it, Camilla will often go, when she's excited to go somewhere, like say the park or the beach or whatever, she'll go, come on everybody, let's go. Come on everybody, let's go. She's speaking she's <laughs> up at, me at the other moment, she can hear me. And you know, I kind of look at that with these angels here as they come down and descend upon earth and like the church and very much are like these disciples i'm very much like these disciples sort of like looking up at the up at heaven going oh jesus how's your kingdom gonna happen like how are you going to reach my friends like how are you going to do this new creation of a new heaven and the new earth and it's kind of we fall in this trap of doing what these men here are doing and just sort of stargazing or cloud watching or heaven gazing It's like heaven are all sudden arrives. Come on, everybody, let's go. Because I think the point of what these angels are sort of saying here is is that you already have enough. You already know enough. You already have instruction enough. The instruction at this point was simple would you go to Jerusalem and lock yourself in a prayer closet until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you in such an explosive and dynamic way that it will spill out into all of the world? And so I'd say to us this morning, church. As we arrive at this scene, remember how we started, the disciples probably arrived at this scene in all sorts of emotional sort of states because of what they just witnessed over the preceding month. Just like we're all in this room, we're coming into this room with all sorts of emotional states because of what we've witnessed over the past, I don't know how old you are, 60 years? (laughs) You know, 12 months, whatever. And it comes to this and it's just this, why do you stare up at the sky? You already have instruction enough. You already know of this Jesus thing. And now it's just come on this journey of me as I'm doing something new, says the Holy Spirit. The disciples didn't have all the answers yet. The Spirit just said, look, would you come and do something new with me? And what we see, a little sneak peek at the book of Acts, is that it is so, so simple that anyone could do it. It was the behaviours that we see time and time and time again as we see the disciples engage in prayer, We see them listening to their neighbour. We see them sharing meals and eating. We see them serving one another and we see them sharing the story of Jesus. We see these behaviours over and over and over again. And from this blanket of fog that the disciples find themselves in here, all of humanity is changed. So with that, I'm going to close. We've got some table discussions. There's some questions here. Uh, let's just quickly skip through them, hey? Holy Spirit is continually doing new things in the world around you. Do you agree or disagree with this statement? And if yes, where do you see Holy Spirit at work? Secondly, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to empower you to be witnesses to everyone, everywhere. How does that make you feel? How do you feel your will being challenged this morning? And lastly, what application do you need to take this week? So, as you guys uh, join tables with others if you need to or whatever. Have a bit of a discussion about this. And don't forget, on your way out the door, there's two documents down there. One's a letter, just talking about some exciting things happening this year. And the other one is sort of to get you prepped for next week because we're going to do something special around prayer next week. But um, to close the service, I'm just going to pray and I'll leave you guys to discuss this one. Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you are doing something new. You are doing something new around us. And God, would you give us eyes to see the glory of your kingdom and the pain of the kingdom of man. And would you help us to always choose your kingdom personally? But more than that, Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you empower us to be your witnesses to all people, to everyone everywhere? Jesus, your kingdom is just so beautiful. May people everywhere encounter the glory of it. May they encounter scandalous grace, relentless love, compassion, second chances, forgiveness, generosity. God, we just want to glorify you. Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you've enjoyed the message and that it's had great impact on you. If you want prayer, would like to connect with us further, or you just have questions, we would love to chat. You can find us at www.taroscommunitychurch.com.au or you can find us on Facebook. Have a great week.